Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, dear beloved family. How are you? If I sound happy, it's because I am. Not because of the way the church is going, not because of the way the world is going, but because our love has our our love, our Lord has given me faith, and I have a reason to live for every second I breathe. How can I not be happy? Do I deserve it? Absolutely not. Do I deserve hell? I do. I do. I do. There's not one of us that does not deserve hell. We do not deserve heaven. And one um, pastor once put it this way, grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. That's his very life in our soul. And mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve, which is death. So I'm a happy camper. Happy, happy, happy camper. And I know what's going on in the church, and I know what's going on in the world, just as you do. And um, is it awful? It's absolutely awful. Should we get discouraged? If we get discouraged, beloved, it's that we have no confidence in who our Lord is and in his words that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we know that. Do I grieve? I grieve Almost 24-7, I should tell you that, because of the millions who don't know Christ and his church, and I'd say the millions within the church who have no idea what Catholicism is, and um, it's, it's awful. Uh, the state of their souls is known to God alone, but it's, it's awful to see Catholics living like the world, choosing their own doctrine, and thinking they're Catholic when they're not and coming to church on Sunday and receiving the Eucharist while while living an immoral life. Uh, All that is in God's hands, but we can plead with people to know the truth, to live the truth, and we can help one another, and as Paul wrote, to encourage one another to love and good works. So, yesterday, the program was pre-recorded, and it is pre-recorded for you today, a brand new fresh program. I pre-recorded these two just before I left. Um, We are traveling to take care of our new diocese home, Um, and I'm not going to give you any specifics till we come back, But, um, but we should be here back live tomorrow, which is Friday. Um, But in the interim today, I want to continue what we began yesterday. And again, it's brand new. It's a fresh program, but you won't be able to call in or you can email and text, but it'll wait till we get back on Friday, which is just fine. Um, But you won't be able to call in until tomorrow. Okay. so uh, what I'd like to continue is what we began yesterday. It's a book by... Uh, Frank Sheed, one of the greatest apologists the the church has ever had. You see how worn this book is. It was written in 1953, and it's Society and Sanity. And the reason that I'm reading it um, is because everything he writes is perfect for today. And we need to understand it. 
it was already in place when he wrote this. So it's going to sound current, but it is current. And what's going on today is worse than what he's written. And what he's written so far that we read yesterday in Society and Sanity is that he's talking about education at the moment. He's going to go into marriage and family and other things. But he's saying sanity, society and sanity. The definition of sanity is seeing what is. That's it. To be sane is to see yourself as God sees you. That's reality. To see what is, not to be in some kind of a cloud or, um, you know, if people think they are Napoleon, they are, are called insane, right? Because they don't see things. They don't see reality. They're in their own world. So to be sane is to see what is. And he makes the point so far that we've read that education is to fit men for living. And yet no one has been able to define what man is and what he is alive for. And if you can't define man and you don't know why he's alive, then how can you fit him for living? It makes no sense. Um, The state wants to control education so that it can uh, equip its uh, people uh, for a fit life. But if you say to the state, but what is man? The state does not know. It does not know. It doesn't give you an answer. And if you don't know what man is, how can you fit him for life? There's no answer. You can fit him for education to earn a living, perhaps, but they have no answer. And that's why it is not sanity. And that's why those goals will only destroy. They will never build, and they will certainly not fit us for living. So I'm going to continue where we left off yesterday. And Frank Sheet says, My personal experience is that it is intensely difficult to persuade anyone to settle down to thought along these lines. The first reaction is usually of the bluff and hardy type, with a quotation, perhaps, of Robert Burns' famous line, uh, quote, unquote, a man, a man's a man for a that, end quote. What does that mean? Uh, what are you made for? For that. What, what's that? Whatever it is. Ridiculous. All right. The dialect does not help. The line tells us that a man is a man. Splendid. But what is a man? When one persists in this way, there is the beginning of irritation. Your interlocutor tells you that everybody knows what a man is and that it is mere foolishness to waste time on what everybody knows. But in fact, everybody does not know because everybody does not agree. And on this matter, the disagreements are so wide that whoever is right the majority will be wrong. As this your man will play, no, I'm sorry, at this, your man will play his trump card, which happens to be his last card. Not Trump with a capital T. <laughs> In a desperate effort to avoid the catastrophe, uh, the catastrophe <laughs> of having to think about the question, he will fall back upon that practical working agreement as to how man should be treated, which we inherit from our more intelligent ancestors. He will say, 
that we have arrived at a good, sound, working idea of how people should be treated and do not need to waste time spinning theories about it. Everyone, he will say, warming to his theme, knows perfectly well the right and wrong way to treat human beings. The trouble is, though we have small hope of getting our man to see it, that what everyone knows, no one knows very thoroughly. Because everyone knows it, we all take it for granted, which means that we do not think about it. There is an absolute deadliness about questions that never get asked because everybody knows the answer. For when they do get asked, no one has an answer ready. We can only get red in the face. I'll tell you with that right away, beloved. You and I, who see the difference between a just Christian moral society and um, corrupt communism, socialism, how do you say that, totalitarianism, I can't say the word I said it the other day, Uh, totalitarianism, I think, (laughs) don't don't try to repeat that, Um, we know the difference, one is treated like an animal, one is treated like a human being, but what is a human being, what is man, what makes one right and what wrong, those are my comments, we'll go on with Frank Sheet. Um, that is perhaps precisely what is happening now that we find ourselves up against the Soviet rulers of Russia who treat men in a way that seems to us intolerable. We are now, this is 1953, but now we have a, a whole stream of those who want to be president of the United States and want to repeat this system. Frank Sheet says, we are quite incapable of having any reasoned discussion with them on the subject, for that would mean showing them that our way of treating men is right and their way wrong, which can only be done if we show that our view of man is right and theirs wrong. And that we cannot do because we do not know what our own view of man is. All we can do in this unhappy circumstance is to tell the Russians that we personally dislike and indeed find revolting their treatment of human beings. They reply that they like it and do not find it revolting. But this is not arguing at all. They state the kind of treatment that they think suitable. We reply with the kind of treatment we like. In other words, we are simply informing them of our prejudice or emotional reaction in the matter. There is no possibility of settling the difference by discussion. Let's see now. Am I shining that in your eyes? I don't know. Let me try. There is no possibility of settling the difference by discussion since we have not gone, we have not got at the root question about which discussion, without which discussion is impossible. Every phrase we use shows that we have not realized our fundamental inadequacy. I remember being urged to vote for a particular political party because it would get along well with the Russians. Quote, we speak their language, end quote. 
The truth is, we do not speak any language. We just feel strongly and splutter. Our lack of clarity about the elementary word man means that none of our subsequent words have any clear meaning. The Russian rulers, be it noted, are not in this dilemma. They do know what they mean by man. They happen to be wrong, having got their view of man from Marx, who had not looked at man. But they are quite clear about it, and they can justify their treatment of man by it. This gives them an enormous advantage in all discussion with the West. No Russian has ever urged as a qualification for office that he speak our language. And our representative men do not. For he does not. Let me just see. I, I, I messed up here. I lost my spot. Um, here we go again. No Russian has ever urged as a qualification for office that he speak our language. Indeed, any good communist would despise himself for making such a claim, for he does speak a language, and our representative men do not. That is why every interchange between ourselves and the Soviet rulers is so humiliating. During the war, for instance, there was the pretense that they and we were partners in a crusade, a pretense which, to do them justice, they hardly bothered to make. They left the lying to us, for they knew we were not partners and could not be, precisely because we do not hold the same views of what man is and cannot therefore hold the same views about how man should be treated. The disparity will continue until we learn to be as clear about our fundamentals as they are about theirs. Then, indeed, we could really enter into an adult discussion with them. You see, an apple and a pear cannot have the same discussion. Two different creatures. Unless we do, there will ultimately be only one resort. Um, so here we go. The disparity will continue until we learn to be as clear about our fundamentals as they are about theirs. Then, indeed, we could really enter an adult discussion with them. But unless we do, there will ultimately be only one resort. In the impossibility of discussion, we shall only be able to hurl high explosive at each other. Whichever of us has some high explosive left at the end will have won the war. That's crazy, isn't it? But he will not have won the argument. There will not even have been an argument. An exchange of prejudices is no more an argument than an exchange of high explosive. Why are we reading this, beloved? Most people just... This is not their interest right now. Their interest is raising a family, advancing their career, surviving, whatever it may be. What are we doing spending time on this? Because it'll teach us how to think. And most of us go through life trying to win arguments by being high explosive. Um, 
or prejudice. Excuse me, we haven't learned how to think. We haven't learned how to be objective. And as long as we live through life on a subjective basis, seeing what, thinking what we see is reality, uh, we're going to be in the dark. We're going to be extremely limited. Um, I know this from my own experience. Um, uh, when I was in my 20s, I was assistant publisher of a magazine in New York, and I pretty much ran the whole business end, and I was very opinionated. Um, no more, of course. I'm joking. Now, hopefully, I have opinions on, on higher things and better things. But at that time, um, my, my boss, the head of the magazine, he looked at me one day and he said, Rosalind, that's my given name, Rosalind Moss, he said, Rosalind, you think the whole world revolves around you. Now, I knew what he said to me should have shattered me. I knew what he said to me was not a compliment. But the fact is, I, I didn't understand. I understand English, but I didn't understand the sentence. What on earth does he mean by that? I think the whole world revolves around me. No, it doesn't. I know that. But what did he mean? It took me a couple of years to even understand that, to even understand that what I see is not always reality. What I think is not always reality. It's not always the only way or the best way. I could think clearly in my mind, but I'm stupid and blind. I may see a tenth of the situation, you know, like the toe of an elephant, not the whole elephant. It took me time to realize how stupid and blind I was by not even understanding that statement that he says. And then, even as a Christian, I will tell you that I have a brother, David, who is... um, a hero of mine in life. And he has a mind to see and to think beyond what the average person do does. It's not simply his intelligence, which he is, but he, he, he can function on logic philosophy, which says not just what is it, but why is it what it is. Um, and without emotions, overtaking him. And so I would be very adamant, even fighting. This is the end of it. Two and two is four. Goodbye, David. But he would have a reason for me to question and see beyond that. Not because two and two isn't four, but it it may not be as simple uh, an answer as I make it to be because of my limitation, because of my black and white reasoning. David is not that way. And part of his not being that way has always frustrated me because I just want to end things and have them simple and have an answer. But he's not that way. And so he is a seeker of truth. And he was Catholic 16 years before me, despite my every effort, every effort to stop him from being one. But it was him, um, not so much by his arguments and words, although that was powerful, but by the example of his life, he was consistent in needing things to make sense and in not putting things in a little black and white box, as I did. And so um, it taught me a lot. And I'm not so quick now to see my view as the only view that exists, to pit my view against evil 
and to learn from others, yes, I will be adamant. Yes, immorality is immorality, but that's not based on my view. That's based on the church's teaching, which is light years apart from me. And I accept it because I'm Catholic, because I believe that our Lord established his church, that he will lead into all truth till the end of time. So, beloved, um, why am I reading through this society and sanity? Because for the most part, we are not sane. We are not sane. People live in their own little world, and they are, I have people all around me, no matter what you say to them, they are defensive. They 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 have an answer, a ready combat before they even have understood the question. Com- unama- amazingly defensive. There's no having a discussion with that person because they've never even gotten the issue. Everything is personal and they bat it away like you bat away a ping pong ball. Very difficult. You can't have a conversation with someone like that. So I am urging you, for the survival of you, of your family, of Christianity, of our nation, to whatever extent God wants that to survive, um, I don't think that's God's top priority because I think that the chastisement on us is coming quite soon. Not because God doesn't care, but because we have rejected everything. Um, and those of us who haven't, uh, as Pope Benedict uh, uh, prophesied while he was still Cardinal Ratzinger, we'll be underground probably in our own generation and reduced to very few. But I want all of us who are listening to be part of that very few. And we need to begin to think. We need to begin to live holy lives to restore the family and the marriages and stop blaming other people. Stop blaming our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents. We need to take up our cross and follow him. And we need to learn how to think. I read articles of mothers forcing their little boy to be a girl. First, forcing their little girl to be a boy, raising him that way from three years old up. How absolutely insane and completely evil that is. Completely evil. And the courts will rule in favor of the parent destroying their child. We are living in an evil society. So it's important that we learn how to think. Um, and I think this book, Society and, and Sanity, is a fabulous start for us. And I think, though, uh, Frank Sheed might stretch our thinking. I still believe he speaks in simple enough terms with enough illustration and stories to help us to get it. Okay, let me continue. He says, So that our practical agreement within our own nations as to how men should be treated, namely that they should be treated kindly, gets us nowhere when we cup up against someone who doesn't agree. How serviceable is it within our own national society The tendency with us is, one, not to inquire what man is, but two, not to impose on man anything against which experience has shown that he is likely to react violently, and so to veil from our own eyes 
the certainly catastrophic results of not making that initial inquiry. Our rule of being as kind to everybody as the circumstances will allow is a well-meaning rule and does us credit, but more credit to our hearts than our heads, for it is a blind rule. The first of the rights of man is not to be treated kindly, but to be treated rightly, to be treated as what he is. Kindness can destroy a man as certainly as cruelty. The French Revolution provides us with a relevant parable, told that the people had no bread. The king's minister, um, Foulon, replied, quote, then let them eat grass. The king's wife, Marie Antoinette, said, why don't they eat cake? Foulon was cruel and Marie Antoinette was kind. The French Revolution killed them both. And there was a kind of wild justice in it. For men will die on a diet of cake just as they will die on a diet of grass. The first question is not of kindness or cruelty, but of rightness or wrongness. Kindness in a doctor treating the human body is no substitute for rightness, nor in anyone else doing anything else, above all not in the social order. The first of the rights of man is to be treated as what he is. Now here's the question, beloved. What is he? What is man? We will answer that when we come back from the break, beloved. You won't be able to call in because we're pre-recording this brand new program for you. But we will return right after a very short break. Don't go away. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. By birth, baby's taste buds are concentrated to the tongue and remain there. But at only seven weeks in the womb, taste buds emerge all over the young baby's mouth, allowing a wide variety of tastes, even before birth. Amniotic fluid surrounding the baby is flavored by whatever mom is having. Human life is sacred. Think about it. Coalitionforlife.com The Liturgy of the Hours is prayed three times a day on the Station of the Cross at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is a meditative and efficacious way to foster habitual prayer. 
It is the daily prayer of the church, prayed throughout the world by priests, religious, and laity. For details about each hour or more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. Uh, we have pre-recorded this program today just for you. It's a brand new program because we're traveling, but we shall be back tomorrow and continue with you. So everything is fine today. You're welcome to send in emails, texts, whatever you wish, but uh, we won't be able to take your calls until tomorrow. So we're going to continue to read, if you weren't there with us in the beginning, um, Society and Sanity by Frank Sheed, written in 1953, utterly, utterly um, appropriate for today, and I think not just appropriate, but utterly, utterly crucial. And he says, the first right of man is to be treated as what he is. But there, then, is the question, what is man? The state wants to put all kinds of laws and control things and all of that, even in the name of goodness to Medicare for all and everything else. But they don't know what man is. They cannot define man. And you can destroy man by those things as well. So this is now chapter two of this book titled Man Essential. Our civilization, the one that used to be called Christian and is now called Western is based upon the idea our ancestors had of what man is. That idea was clear, strong, universally accepted. They arrived at it, not by looking at man, but by listening to God. Oh, how important is that, beloved? How can you know what man is if you don't know that from the one who made him, the one who purposed him. Summarized, Frank Sheet said it was this, man is a creature of God, living in a universe created by God, but he differs from every other being in the world because God made him in his own image. This special likeness to God is not in man's body, by which he is akin to the animals, but in his soul, which is spiritual, immortal, and meant for eternal union with God. Now, beloved, truth is truth whether one believes it or not. That's it. You may not believe this, but your belief does not determine truth. If it's true, it's true, whether it's believed or not. Let me continue. By setting his will against God's, man had damaged himself and lost oneness with God. God became man and died to save all men from this derelict condition. In these three ideas, image of God, immortal spirit, and redeemed by Christ, you have the dominating elements in that concept of man which went to the building of our civilization. Now, to many, this will seem sheerly fantastic. The exaltation of a, um, excuse me, the exhalation of a myth 
which has curiously managed to survive from a simpler world, or better, has not quite managed to die in a world that has no use for it. And even among those who still regard that view of man as wholly or mainly valid, many would feel that it has no place in a practical discussion of modern problems, that it is not Uh, That is not the way modern sociologists think. But this, at least, is no argument against it. Considering the appalling mess in which the world is, this is written in 1953, two blood baths in a half century and another in horrifying prospect, one cannot approach the way modern sociologists think with any very paralyzing uh, uh, reverence. It could hardly be an argument against any theory that it differs from modern thought processes. But for the moment, I'm not urging that earlier view of man as immediately practical or even usable. Though I think and shall try to show later in this book that that it uniquely is both. I merely say that a great civilization was built upon it. That civilization is now in agony. Death throws, maybe birth throws, maybe, but throws beyond a doubt that to do anything about it, we must understand it, and that there is no understanding it apart from the idea of man it was trying to express. So let us look at it again. In a little more detail, no idea has ever been so dynamic, at once so revolutionary, and so powerful for constructing a way of life. Even one who does not himself hold it should see that the effort to grasp it must be made. Here we go. Take the first phrase. Man is made in the image of God. This might mean anything, according to the view of God involved. Um, Man made in the image of the god Molech, to whom the Carthaginians sacrificed small children, could have been a horrifying creature. And indeed, a sufficient number of men have set out to remake themselves in that image. But our Christian ancestors knew the truth about God. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. Man, made in his image, has all these attributes, but limitedly. Man has power, though not all power, knowledge, though not all knowledge, love, though by no means infinite love. God is the absolute, man the image, But the image need not be static. It can deteriorate and be hardly recognizable, but it can grow too. Men can increase in power, knowledge, and love. In other words, in likeness to God. God is in no fear that his creatures may equal him. The infinite cannot fear the finite. It is altogether according to God's will, that the original likeness in all men shall grow greater and greater. And the psalmist wrote, beloved, we shall grow greater and greater until that day that we awake 
in his likeness. We shall go. We will never be God, but we will be like God. That's how he made us to be. Frank Sheet continues, the key to the understanding of God and man is the concept of spirit. God is infinite spirit, but one of the elements in man is spirit too. And in this, the likeness consists. What is of the essence of the spirit? That without which it would not be spirit at all, which must be present therefore with whatever differences of mode an infinite spirit and finite is permanence. Okay, what is the essence of spirit is permanence. Oh, beloved, there's our music for our second and last break. It'll be very short. We'll be right back with you. Don't go away. We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustain Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustain life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations Thank you for helping to save the culture. Every sound structure requires a blueprint master plan, and the human body is no different. This master plan resides in our DNA, which provides instructions for the development of the entire body. You are unique and different from any other individual that is existing or has ever existed. Human life is sacred. Think about it. Coalitionforlife.com Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern for Sermons for Everyday Living. There's no better way to start your day than with spiritual formation from inspiring priests. For details about upcoming episodes and for podcasts of past shows, visit thestationofthecross.com and click on Sermons for Everyday Living under the Programs tab. That's Sermons for Everyday Living, weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on The Station of the Cross. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. And we are uh, in a pre-recorded program. I, I recorded it specially for you, brand new, just before we left on our trip. And we should be back tomorrow if all goes well, and if not, definitely on Monday. Um, but we are reading uh, Society and Sanity by Frank Sheed. And we're talking about... Um, the, the education and the state and everybody who tries to serve man 
And the result is that we're destroying one another because nobody has been able to define what man is. And so we are reading that. Um, okay, let me um, let me read. Okay, let me go back to the beginning of our last paragraph. The key to understanding. Uh, the key to the understanding of God in man is the concept of spirit. God is infinite spirit. But one of the elements in man is spirit too. And in this, the likeness consists. What is of the essence of spirit, in other words, that which it would not be spirit at all, that without which it would not be spirit at all, which must be present therefore, uh, with whatever differences of mode, in infinite spirit and finite is, per- is permanent. So that was a very confusing sentence, but basically uh, God is infinite, he is spirit, and one of the elements of spirit is its permanence. It is not composed of parts as matter is, so that it cannot fall apart or be taken apart, spirit, or rearranged internally. A spiritual being can only be itself. It cannot be made into any other. Its norm is immortality. As permanence is the norm of spirit's existence, so is freedom the norm of its vital activity. In its twin functions of knowing and loving, its life consists. For that life, what it loves is decisive, and the faculty by which it loves the will is free. There's a whole little course in philosophy in one one paragraph. If I, uh, I'm just going to continue here. Man was made by God for union with himself. The finite spirit is to come to a total union with the infinite spirit. The finite spirit, that is us, is to come to total union union with the infinite spirit, which is God, in which man's knowing power will be in immediate, never-to-be-broken contact with infinite truth and man's loving power in a contact as close with infinite goodness. And in this contact, it will remain itself, not losing its identity in the mightier reality, but conscious of God and conscious of itself as now at last his perfect image. No one of the religions that concentrate wholly upon spirit to the contempt of matter has ever so glorified man's spirit for all of them see only extinction or at any rate the extinction of personal consciousness as its highest goal. And just as none of the religions of pure spirit glorify spirit, as does Christianity, which sees man as spirit united with matter, so none of the philosophies that dismiss spirit and stake all their uh, and stake their all upon matter, so glorify the body. For Christianity, the body is sacred, being lifted by the intimacy of its union with the soul out of mere earthiness and has a place in man's eternal destiny. One can hardly reproach the materialist for not giving the body sacredness. Do you hear that? One can hardly approach 
the materialist for not giving the body sacredness, since materialism lacks that concept. Material, material things are not sacred in themselves, knowing only the profane. You know, I just read an article earlier this morning on how, from Crisis Magazine, how sloppy America is. We go to receive the Holy Eucharist in thongs and shorts and T-tops and immoral words on our T-shirts and uh, not knowing how to properly receive our Lord, just sloppy. Uh, there was one illustration of a man that came up in in thongs and shorts and a T-shirt and it just ridiculous, and he came to church because it was his daughter's funeral. And the assumption was that he was on his way to a golf game or the beach, and he just last minute remembered his daughter, daughter's funeral and had to rush to get to church. That's what it looked like. One can hardly approach the materialist for not reproach the materialist for not giving the body sacredness. There's no sacredness to that body of that man walking up to receive the Eucharist. Women don't understand the importance of being veiled in church. It, it's, it, I, I go to a Latin church on Sunday and the, there may be three or four women or younger children that are not veiled and they completely stand out not to be criticized, but because they are not acknowledging reverence. Women are veiled not because, as Dr. Alice von Hildebrand said, not because they're inferior, but because they're sacred. And you veil what is sacred like the tabernacle itself. Frank Sheet says, one can hardly reproach the materialist for not giving the body sacredness since materialism lacks that concept, knowing only the profane. But he cannot give it things he can conceive. All right, he cannot give it things he can conceive and indeed long for, conquest of death or any ground of dignity. For the Christian, the body after the temporary dissolution of death will be reunited to the soul of man and share his destiny forever. Of all religions, Christianity alone accepts the body fully and ungrudgingly. It brings it into the most sacred places of religion, even to the Holy of Holies, the Eucharist itself, where Christ enters man to be the food of his life and the bond of union among the men that are fed with that food. It is a foundation formula of all Christian sociology that while spirit is primary, the body has its own sacredness. If either element in that formula is lost, the whole balance is destroyed. Man, the image of God, by his own nature as spirit and matter, binding the two spheres of spirit and matter into one universe, which but for it must ever remain two lives under law. The material world has its laws given by God, and man's bodily health consists in discovering them and living in accord with them. But the spiritual world equally has laws given by God, and man's spiritual health consists in discovering them 
and living according to them. I'm thinking of an illustration I was given many years ago of a train on a track going through the country. And the train all of a sudden decides to rebel. It says, I'm sick and tired of this track. I want to be free. Get me off this track. I want to be free. And so the train is taken off the track and put on the grass. And it can't function at all because it was made to function by the track. And you take that off, what gives it freedom, and it is paralyzed. It cannot function at all. We, beloved, are made for God in his image to love God and be loved by him. And anything else we do uh, for our bodies, um, sin, um, whatever it is, um, we'll never be free. That's why Jesus said the truth, only the truth will set you free. Free to love, free to be loved, free to understand what, who you are, what you are as man, and what you are made for. That you are made by love for love. And there is no freedom apart from that. And with that, there's no confusion because God's path for us is clear. Frank Sheet says, which brings us to the one element still to consider in the Christian picture of man. The will of man is free, free to accept, but free also to refuse. Cooperation, whether with God's will as a whole or with some detail of God's law. Man has both as a race and each man for himself partially or totally refused cooperation. Beloved, I don't know what Frank Seed is about to say. I'm reading this with you. But God has given us free choice to love him or not, to go to heaven or not. Not means hell. There's nothing other than that. There's no such thing as annihilation. We will spend eternity in heaven or in hell, with or without God. Um, So people say, well, I have a right to do this. I have a right to do that. You do not. I have a right to sin if I want to. You do not. The only rights we have as human beings come from God. We have a right to do what is right. We have not been given a right to sin. We have not been given that right to do what we want with our body. Women say, it's my body. I have a right. If I want to have an abortion, I have a right to do that. You do not. You have the freedom to sin. That's God-given. You have the freedom, as did Adam and Eve, to turn from God, to curse him, to say, I want to do it my way. But you don't have that right. The only rights you have were given to you by your maker, by your creator. And the only rights you have are a right to life um, and to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are your rights, not to do wrong, not to sin. You have no right, but you have the freedom to disobey. Man has, Frank Sheet said, both as a race and each man for himself partially or totally refused cooperation. He has hurled himself against God's laws and been broken by them. 
the major breach resultant from the refusal of man as a race, Christ healed, dying for all men, making that ultimate total union with God possible for all men. But every man must work out his own salvation. And he brings a nature pretty badly knocked out by sin to the task. To the end, the choice is his. I think of the words Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, um, uh, that our salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. It is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Faith. We don't earn faith by works. It is not of works. It is a gift of God, lest any of us should boast. We can never boast about our faith because it is the gift of God and it is a gift unto good works. Unto good works. We are given the gift of the faith of God unto good works. James says, faith without works is dead. And Paul wrote also to the Philippians, it is God who is at work in you both to will and and to do of his good pleasure. And before that, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is, it is of God, it is God who is at work in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. You're not asked to do that on your own. God will give you every grace. But if you rebel, he will give you the freedom, not the right, but the freedom to rebel. Frank Sheet says, to the end, the choice is his. He, uh, man, may choose God or self without God, heaven or hell, whichever he has chosen at the end of his life upon earth. He has chosen eternally. In other words, man's eternal destiny depends upon his own decision. The responsibility is of man's essence. And I've said it before, people call in and say, how can we prepare for the devastation that's coming? How can we prepare for the judgment, for the three days of darkness, for the destruction? For How do we prepare? My answer is, we prepare by going to bed tonight without unconfessed sin. We must confess our sin. If it's mortal, you must Run to a priest and knock down his door. And you must go to bed tonight having no idea that you will wake up in the morning. And if you don't, um, where you are tonight will be where you spend eternity, either in heaven or in hell. That's how you prepare for the future. Every single day you live as if it is true. God bless you, beloved, and we'll be with you tomorrow. God bless you.